0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334. 321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502.
1: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also, watch the show live on Facebook on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. Those locations also great to keep up with the content the show is putting out. Happy Tuesday, everybody, here in Auburn, Alabama. I hope everybody stayed safe last night with the storms. It was nasty over here. Levi, did it get bad in Beulah?
2: Yeah, it was pretty bad out there as well. I mean, there was at one point I was, I, was, I remember I was laying in bed and I heard just wind whipping outside, but then the next thing you know, I was asleep. I always sleep through storms like that, so uh, got a good night, good nights of sleep because of that, so just hoping that everybody else did stay safe. I know that I saw there were some trees down in Opelika. I know there were some power lines and stuff that were down around the Auburn area as well from some of the people that I saw, you know, tweeting pictures out and stuff like that. So just hoping everybody stays safe for the most part.
1: This isn't a good thing, but I was playing Call of Duty last night, and I had my headset on, you know, and and that's so you could hear better in the game. So essentially I had headphones on, and I pulled my headphones off, And I look outside, and I'm like, what is going on? I didn't even know. And and at that moment, I kind of got scared. I was like, yo, like, that's not good that I didn't know what was going on outside. I had no idea the weather got bad. So, um might you know considering there could be some weather tonight might might avoid playing some call of duty tonight might 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 you know keep some headphones off but you know hope everybody's doing well on their tuesday afternoon and we thank you for joining us on the line we got a good show for you guys today coming up at three o'clock we'll have zach blackerby of the locked on auburn podcast joining us talking about some of the recent transfers out of the auburn football program and what does that mean auburn safety chris thompson jr entering the transfer portal Today, that was the latest guy, but also joining players such as Jaron Handy, Jay Hardy, Chael Garnett. You see these guys leaving the program. What does all of this mean? We'll talk about that throughout the show. But we're going to open up the show today talking about something that I saw on my timeline about an hour or so ago. Alabama football unveiling the advantage. It's a program that the university is utilizing to help student-athletes elevate their personal brands, and it seems to be mainly geared towards social media, but to help these guys, and this definitely has to be going hand-in-hand with the way that the game is changing at the collegiate level with the NIL, the name, image, likeness rules coming about. And Alabama recently, within the past two weeks, Governor Kay Ivey signed the bill allowing athletes to be able to profit college athletes being able to profit off of their name image and likeness this definitely seems like alabama is trying to stay ahead of the times and to roll with the times this seems like a huge recruiting pitch for athletes moving forward because how many schools do you see so far and i and i don't think alabama is the first i think they're following a trend here but how many schools do you see at the moment already up to date with the times having programs like this that help athletes elevate their personal brand to be able to profit and benefit off of that this is huge
2: yeah it's huge especially from you know recruiting standpoint you're going to have a lot of you're gonna have a lot of kids who want to go you know to somewhere that is it's showing that hey like we're trying to get ahead of this and we're trying to benefit you not just hey come to our school You know, win championships, play for our university, wear the name, wear the colors. It's like, hey, we're actually like trying to benefit you, even not just while you're here. Post once you leave here, once you graduate, like we're trying to set you up for the future. We're trying to get that brand and likeness, and it's just another great recruiting pitch. This is, I mean, it's a really big deal, especially with it's a good step for modern times. Like what what athletes at the collegiate level are about to be able to do. And what they're
1: about to encounter.
2: Yeah. And it's good to go ahead and try to get some of these guys in the right area because, look, this is a, this is a, it's an iffy type of thing where you could really mess up your brand really quickly if you don't understand. Like, if you're not careful, you say one wrong thing, you make one wrong move, you get associated with one wrong person, you know, endorsement, what have you, and your brand takes a hit, your likeness takes a hit. And it's going to be good to be able to teach kids about, some of the consequences that can happen if you take a step in the wrong direction. And I think it's even more than that, though. It's teaching them how to...
1: It appears to be something where they're trying to teach these guys how to be able to profit off of it because also included in this program is also financial literacy training.
2: How yes. to manage your that's, money properly. That's a, big, that's a big thing as well. You see it a lot of times where there are, there are people and it's not just... This is not, this, uh, is not just held to athletes anytime you see people who did not come into a significant amount of money whether it's you know they they came in with five dollars they left with five hundred dollars or ten dollars left with ten thousand dollars like if you go into from not having a lot of money or even just not having the amount of money that you have sometimes you don't know how to use it properly because you never there are a lot of people who didn't grow up With that kind of money.
1: ESPN documentaries on I I think actually the thirty for thirty is called broke.
2: Yeah. I mean uh Allen Iverson's one of like the athletes that come to my mind where he was bankrupt at some points in his life because he didn't he he didn't, you know, do it properly. But then you have guys like Clay Thompson, who his dad the entire time was teaching him how to not spend money. Alvin Kamara hasn't spent a dime out of any of the money he's made off of his contracts for the Saints, so he reports. Apparently, it's all through his endorsements and whatnot, saving his money properly. Just, they, but then you, for every one of those great financial you know, stories that you hear where they were taught properly by somebody along the way, you got others who, are, who end up being broke, who end up going bankrupt because nobody taught them. You can't expect certain people to come in to a situation, whether it's athletes or just me. Like, If you drop me off with an X amount of money right now, I wouldn't know what to do with it i've never had that kind of wealth and that's the kind of thing that you're you'd teaching. save it i mean I'd the fact it.
1: that you're talking about it right now you'd I'd, save I'd it.
2: i say i'd save it but i mean you drop that off to me at i don't know let's say i at 21 22 years old 18 19 depending on you know what sport i'm going into you might not know how to do it i'm a little bit more mature and financially sound now because i've gotten older with age you're I've more gotten, seasoned yeah i'm a little bit more seasoned i'm a, I'm a veteran I, I'll, I'll have you know i invested in dogecoin i'm a veteran of the stock market now <laughs> But yeah, like you're asking, for the most part, college kids to be able to handle a substantial amount of money that a lot of them have never seen that amount of money before and don't know what to do with it. It's great to teach kids how to do this because a lot of them lack that training.
1: I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. And more and more universities are going to incorporate these programs into their athletic departments. You know, it's funny. Alabama's really ahead of the curve right now. You talk about all of these different schools that have already had football-only facilities. Alabama is in that group, and it is a state-of-the-art, hard-to-beat, football-only facility. Clemson's in that category. I'm not sure what Ohio State's got up in Columbus, but I'm sure they have to be up there in their facilities as well. But I, I, we, we've seen videos, we've seen stuff of what Alabama and Clemson have got, mainly because of their regional proximity to Auburn and what Auburn's recruiting against on average. Auburn's not really recruiting against Ohio State, but they're recruiting against Clemson and Alabama on a daily basis. You look at that, and you see that Auburn's just now getting a football-only facility. And now you see Alabama's taking the next step in making their program more robust and more recruit-friendly and more recruiting-friendly. I don't know. if the, ha- Have we seen something like
2: this out of Auburn yet? No. Uh, not that i not that i can imagine I we mean, haven't seen
1: something out of th- like this out of many sec schools so i don't want to just make this about alabama versus auburn but that's what it becomes in this state you talk about the gap in recruiting right now alabama's ahead of the curve compared to most programs I to say,
2: it's not just i was to say it's not even just sec it's nationally at this yeah. point because there's there's not very
1: a, few teams in that yes. same tier as alabama right now in terms of being ahead of the curve and ahead of the times when it comes to recruiting and that's Partially, not only because Alabama has a brand that's easy to recruit, but that's also a big part of why they dominate nationally in recruiting because coupled with their brand, they're utilizing it effectively. They're staying ahead of the times. They're keeping up to date with the new technologies of the world, the new workflows of the world. They're keeping up to date with the game, and they're staying ahead of it, and that's giving them a major advantage on the recruiting front. Compared to other schools who are just now still trying to find ways to get football only facilities. Whereas Alabama's now like, well, we've had our football only facility for, you know, however long it's been, you know, four or five years plus. We've got all these nice, fancy doodads inside our facility, but now we're also going to help you become the modern athlete. We're gonna help you become the modern athlete businessman. We're going to help you be the LeBron and the KD and the Kobe Bryant of collegiate athletics. That was something that was popularized, really, I think heavily in the NBA, finding side hustles, as as the average individual would like to say, you know, side things that you could also find a way to invest your money in and to build your brand outside of the sport itself. We saw that heavily in the NBA with LeBron. Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, all those guys dabbling in cinema and making movies. We've seen all four of those guys dabble in that. And now you see it transcending into other sports and whatnot, of guys getting involved in different things outside of their respective game, you know, off-season projects and even stuff while they're even still playing in sport in season, that's coming down to the college game now.
2: I mean, even something as simple as investing your money into restaurants or yeah. little stores and what like that, again because I'm a Saints fan I follow it heavily Alvin Kamara he owns the big squeezy in New Orleans which is a lemonade you know like type of place where you can buy stuff like that that's side hustle that's using your income to make more income and before we get too far ahead of
1: ourselves here and then and then I want you to go back to your thought before we get too far ahead of ourselves here I don't think that's full-fledged coming to the college game because oh, there no. are still parameters that we don't know about. It's like does all of these d- d- does all of this money end up in a trust fund? I know that's been thrown around several times. We don't know to what degree this will be executed, but what I'm trying to illustrate is there is now a business aspect to these athletes and their college careers that hasn't been here before.
2: And it's it's making them more well equipped for when they do leave. The when they leave the collegiate level because if they were doing this in college where they're they're having someone say like hey you could take some of this money that you're making in college right now off of your name and you could put this into a business small business stocks what have you you could try to parlay what you have right now into movie roles get into the cinema and stuff like that or commercials like you can go you know, put your face on literally anything and just get your face out there and have it and also. The more that they're doing this kind of stuff, where they're where athletes are putting their face everywhere, NFL guys see that too. Like um, if you're some guy from a smaller school that just kind of happens to keep popping up around, you know, somebody might see a little bit more. Fans are a little bit more receptive to you. It makes you more likable. You get more people to follow you on Twitter and whatnot. And then you know what that happens. You parlay that into another job post football because you already have a fan base. You already have a brand. You see that with Johnny Manziel who you know, wasn't doing this in college, but he has such a following and such a brand that he doesn't have... He didn't have to be good at football. He never did. He was able to parlay that into doing real estate where he can sell sell things because, hey, it's Johnny Manziel and people want to listen to him. Regardless if you loved him or hate him, you knew who he was and you were able to follow that and you were able to get behind what he was doing. And we don't know what's going to come of this. We really don't. Like, we can... We can sit here and kind of guess about like certain things that are going to happen, but the big thing that I take away from this is Alabama is still so far ahead of certain places and certain programs. and Om- I mean, every program, because it's copycat league. You see what Alabama did. They but got then
1: a- they're going to be on to the next thing, right? Yes. And While that, other teams are trying to catch up, they'll be on to the next thing.
2: And I, I'll say this, and I'll use a pure football example. What happens when you get stagnant? What happens when you don't make adjustments and advance? You get you get kicked out. the the game, the game takes over you. Like I'm talking about purely X's and O's. When you see a coach who isn't making adjustments, they're not trying to modernize their offense or their defense or whatever, they get kicked out. They get fired. They get outed because it gets stale. It gets stagnant. The best coaches adapt over time. Some That's
1: teams per- are active. Some teams are reactive.
2: And it's okay. It's also okay to be reactive as long as you are adjusting to times. You can at least catch up. But you see Alabama time and time again proactively, not even just like, I mean, their program as a whole, like the way everything is ran. And also, like, it even goes down to football in general with their coaching staff. You saw I formation sets out of Alabama in the early Nick Saban days, full spread offense now. They didn't let it get to a point where they said, oh, we actually can't score points anymore. They went ahead and got ahead of the curve. And it's Alabama doing that again, except this time it's from a program and a university standpoint
1: alabama's not fighting the wave they see it happening in all of collegiate athletics it doesn't mean necessarily that they agree with the changes i'm sure a lot of these universities prefer the old ways right just like the ncaa but the thing is they understand that that battle's been lost on the ncaa's front and these are changes that are coming to all of collegiate athletics and instead of fighting it which would hurt you on the recruiting trail they've decided to embrace it and leverage it in order to help them on the recruiting trail. That's the big takeaway from this. Alabama is leveraging this to be successful on the recruiting trail and they're going to stay at the top of it with stuff like this, the advantage. And think of I mean try and think of a better name than that too when you're trying to sell this to recruits. You, that's been Alabama's thing. It's like, you can come here, you can go to the NFL. We send guys out. You look at this past NFL draft class, six guys in the first round. School record-setting six guys in the first round of the NFL draft for Alabama. Those most in school history. And then you look at ten guys go in the entire draft class. They can sell that to recruits. They, they get, had a
2: long snapper get drafted. Yeah. They got a long snapper drafted. That's I mean, right. come on. Like like you were like, Those guys are UDFAs. Written always, all over. It. always
1: yeah. I don't know why in the world you draft a, a long snapper that seems like a wasted pick but you know whatever they must have been really concerned that he was going to sign somewhere else <laughs> I don't know but and then on top of that you talk about the pitches that they can have while you're in college maybe you don't end up in the NFL guess what you're going to get a ring you're going to build relationships you're going to build connections with one of the most illustrious if not the most illustrious collegiate brand out there they've got all of these great pitches that they can sell these guys and then oh by the way they come out with something called the advantage as if all of that other stuff wh- basically what they're saying is you come to alabama you've got an advantage which i, I would agree with i would 100 agree with you go to alabama <laughs> you you're, you're an athlete that's got a major advantage on everyone else moving forward so on the other side of this break we're going to talk auburn football players entering the transfer portal chris thompson jr the latest tiger to plan his exit from the plains why might this be we'll talk about it on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line back on on the line noah gardner levi fitzwater with you on espn 1067 and on fox sports central alabama as well as you're able to watch the show on facebook espn 1067 and fox sports central alabama and radio alabama sports facebook pages levi i just saw you wave at the camera and what's funny is it covers up your face i've got the ipad in front of me that's all i'm able to see the different camera shots and you were waving and it covered up your face so kind of counterproductive what you were doing there but i get what you're doing
2: could you see me waving at least i could
1: i could see you waving.
2: but me waving covered up my face you could have been
1: you could have been shooing away a fly though you never know Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. We've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. You can call into the show. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. That's what will put you through to on the line. Armored safety Chris Thompson Jr. entering the transfer portal why might this be Levi kind of came as a shock to me I'm not gonna lie I saw that news today broke this morning and you can get past the Jaron Handy and the Jay Hardy and be like okay those guys were were death pieces that were going to see the field and the Chael Garnett definitely was not going to see the field but Chris Thompson Jr. You're like, man, this guy's going to play significant downs. Maybe not as a starter, but he's going to play.
2: I was ex- like, I expected him to have a role on the defense. You know, like play significant downs. Maybe not. Like he could have st- been a starter next year when Smoke Monday
1: graduates.
2: That's what I kind of expected out of him. So uh, long term, it didn't make as much sense for me. But I mean, if you want to go ahead and get playing time this year, I guess it makes sense. Maybe he just didn't enjoy what the coaching staff was presenting for him. Maybe he just wasn't a fan of it. You never know. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's a situation. Maybe he didn't enjoy being here at Auburn. That's also a thing that could have happened. He could have got rubbed raw. Maybe There might be other reasons. You never Culture know. Culture
1: is something that Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn Podcast will bring up at 3 o'clock. We've got him on to talk about this situation to the other transfers recorded conversations Spoke with him earlier today and you'll be able to hear that once again at three o'clock he says this is a this could be a culture situation
2: and that makes sense I mean there there could be a culture that some of these guys just don't enjoy I mean you and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong it doesn't mean that this coaching staff is wrong I mean there are some there are certain times in every aspect of your life where you are right Somebody else is right in how they do things, whether that's a job, interpersonal relationships, what have you and it just does not gel there are some people that you're not going to get along with regardless of if, if even if both of y'all are doing things like in a not like in a correct way, there are certain personality archetypes you don't like there are certain jobs that you just don't fit with and that that could be a thing here it could just be a culture it, it could just be that doesn't jive head heads butt and just doesn't work out, and that's what—that's kind of what this is in place for. This is what this transfer portal, the new transfer thing, to you know, be able to transfer your one time out of here. That's what this is for. When you get somewhere and you're like, this isn't quite what I expect it to be. Let me just let me take my take my toys and go play elsewhere.
1: I'm still concerned that players are misusing that, and I don't want to take this conversation there yet. We will in a second, but I still want to talk about Chris Thompson Jr. here. I saw this as a playing time issue for Chris Thompson Jr. Maybe he saw, that was what went off in my brain first. Instantly, I was like, well, maybe he wanted to be the starter. He left spring, gave it his best shot, came out of spring. He was the backup. We watched it at A-Day game. He played with with the second-team defense, and he played well. His name was called several times, but Tennyson won the job, I think, at that starting safety spot, and then he's also going to have to compete with a guy that wasn't active a whole bunch during spring, but Amari Harvey, He's going to try and take some playing time. He's an early enrollee. I don't think that that was really a concern for Chris Thompson Jr., but there is an influx of players coming into the safety room, not just Amari Harvey being a freshman on this roster this year, but also there was like two or three other ones that were signed on signing day alone back in February that add to this bunch. And then from that point as well, there's a Vanderbilt transfer that's got Auburn in his final two. I believe it's Auburn in Texas, maybe Auburn in Texas Tech. It's Kaufman from Vanderbilt. And I see Auburn, while I don't have any inside track information on this, why would you not want to come to Auburn? Your former head coach, who I assume you probably had a good relationship with, you're leaving Vanderbilt right now, I'm assuming you had a pretty good relationship with him, he's working with safeties. You're a safety. You now get to work closer with a guy you liked, who's a defensive mind and now can spend more time with you to help make you better. So I don't see... I don't see why you wouldn't want to come to Auburn. Of course, you can go to Texas or Texas Tech or wherever it is. If it's Texas, you know, you can go to Texas and be one of the better programs in the Big 12. Of course, Texas's resources are are off the charts, of course, despite the fact that they have been an underwhelming program. It's funny, Texas, in the last time USA Today did their revenue rankings in collegiate athletics for public schools, the ones that release their numbers out of their athletic departments texas was at the top in athletic department revenue and you look at how underwhelming they are you think with all of those resources with all that money coming in you think that they would be one of the best programs in all of collegiate athletics football basketball and baseball but they're not they're pretty underwhelming in all three of those sports so i find that interesting but you could come and work based on relationships alone come to auburn off of that that seems like an intelligent estimation on my part, but you just—you never know how that's going to play out on the recruiting trail. But maybe there was just too many mouths to feed in that defensive backfield, and Chris Thompson Jr. was like, "Eh, I want to start, I want to go ahead and play now. Which brings me to this point, are players misusing the transfer portal? Because I think Chris Thompson Jr. would have been a starter next
2: year. I mean, I think he would have been too, but it's one of those things where, and we talked about this off-air extensively in terms of there's always going to be the unintended consequences. Like, there are going to be kids and athletes that don't misuse this. And I think there's a large portion of them that that aren't. Where This
1: may not even be unintended. We may have just, I, I think we could have predicted this beforehand. Yeah. I think we could have said, yeah, guys are going to misuse this.
2: I mean, and that's just how...
1: So I just think it's a it's, consequence. It's, I, I changed yeah, my tune a, all night. Con- I said yesterday yeah. it was unintended. I will say it's just a regular it's, consequence. It's
2: one of those things that in theory, you look at it and you're like, this is in place to help athletes where they get into a situation because the head coaches can be bop around at any point they can be fired they can go sign somewhere else and then you're just like a kid they're like oh but you have to stay you have to stay and you have to be committed to this team and that's a good thing to give the give athletes that leeway sometimes you get into a situation and you're just like man this ain't right for me like, I, I'm not playing like I was supposed to play. The, like, I don't like This isn't what they sold me. Yeah, the university. Like, I'm not a fan of the university. Maybe, like, I'm. I'm some kids are like, I'm homesick. Or there's I mean, something going on at home.
1: You're like the Illinois player that couldn't get the waiver. It's yeah. like,
2: what's going on, man? Like, you have guys who, like, you know, their their family falls on hard times or, like, you know, with illnesses like you were talking about, and they, they want to get closer to their family, help their parents, grandparents. You don't
1: always get the waiver.
2: And Mustafa Heron got a waiver.
1: The Illinois yes. guy did it. Joey Gatewood had to wait until right before
2: the season. And that's and and that's what this is here for. It's here to help kids and even not even those extenuating circumstances where you're just like I don't like it here. I was wrong. Yeah. I made a mistake. Go ahead, go fix it. Or I'm not playing enough and like my, my ultimate goal is to get to the league. If I'm staying here, I'm not going to play. And I want to make it to the next level. I want to play. So with that specific point
1: there, though, I'm with you on all the other ones. I, I, I'm pretty sure I am. It, it's hard for me to remember all the ones that we just rattled like, off. There's, but there's, with this one specifically. a lot of good ones. Yes, there are a lot of good ones. With this one specifically that you just mentioned, guys saying, ah, this isn't for me. I want to make it to the league. I'm not playing enough right now. If you're an underclassman, I think some of these guys would be better served to pump the brakes. If you were just on campus for a year and you're a freshman, and you didn't play a whole bunch. And you're going in your sophomore year and you still may be a backup, give it time, man. Give it time because you will end up playing most of the time, if you're good enough, by the time you are a junior or a senior. And that in a lot of times, the location that you started at, most of those programs are gonna do good and they're and they're going to help you get to the league, right? Now it doesn't always work out like that, and every situation is different, but I hate to see some freshmen that only we're here for a year, and then they're like, well, man, I w- I'm not starting going into my sophomore year. Well, I'm going to transfer to a worse location, like a USF or something like that, or maybe just a, maybe even another Power 5 school, and then it just doesn't pan out because you just assumed that grass was, on, was, was greener on the other side. It's not always like that. Maybe sometimes it's better to be patient and look no further than schools like Alabama and Georgia where guys have to wait. Guys have to sit and wait and they still end up getting to the league because of the school's clout in the athletics community and in the professional world because teams will draft a Georgia dude that maybe has a worse resume collegiate-wise than an Auburn or – Sometimes a Florida or a Miami or somewhere else, just because guys know what they're getting when they get a Georgia or an Alabama player. We talked about defensive players out That's of true. Georgia going to the next level. Like you, you draft a defensive yeah. player
2: out of Georgia, you know what you're getting. And even the same when thing with an Alabama player. Even when they're not stars, they're coming out and they're still providing you just meaningful like meaningful when you, snaps. When you draft a guy like Richard Le, Richard Lecount, who pinnapped. You know, like you see that name, you're like, He's got flaws. He's got some issues fifth that he's got to work out. But I, know the fifth round, getting... but I know that I'm going to get a good role-playing defensive player who can develop into a good starting rotational piece on the defensive side. And that's fair. And I agree with all that as well. Sometimes you're getting a little hoppy and you really want to like you. you want to pump the brakes a little bit. The issue is they're kids. They, they're 18 years old and they're going to make decisions that are a little bit more impulsive than someone who is... In the older spectrum of things, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's where this kind of comes into. Do you and
1: think maybe it should have been amended? And we don't have time to talk about this. Maybe we should layer. Do you think maybe it should have been amended for underclassmen have to wait, wait till you're a junior, and then it's a free waiver?
2: I don't know because again, like you could find those situations where you make a mistake, and there are kids who are capable of making the right decision at that age. It's you're going to have problems either way. Let's put it that way.
1: More of on the line on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. Anything on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. Once again, call in at 334-321-1390. Coming up in 30 minutes we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast joining us to talk about the most recent transfers out of the Auburn football program and what does this mean for Auburn football. Once again, that's coming up at 3 o'clock, that recorded conversation with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast. Follow ESPN 106.7. On Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, but we really didn't. We didn't put our foot down on it. We didn't rank it. And look, the NFL draft, it's behind us, but we've got weeks of content to derive from it now. Because guys are in new situations, we've got updated depth charts to go through. I mean, we get the excitement of the NFL season right right in front of us. And then how long is it until they release the schedule? Because we've got matchups, but we don't have the, the nailed down week-to-week schedule. That's not that far from now either, right?
2: No, I, I, it, it'll be soon. Um, I remember getting up. I got a notification from Bleacher Report, what felt like a few weeks ago, with them talking about when they were actually releasing... What team, you know, the when the. When? What, when? Because you know. What time? Again, you know the the way the NFL does their schedule. You know the opponents. You know the home and aways. You just you, don't know what week. Yeah. And that. What time? Sometimes that changes everything. You can look at a schedule and go, this oh, is a yeah. pretty favorable schedule. And then you see. Auburn baseball is a prime example, man. You change up that schedule and just shift some of those teams around to different areas. Works out a little bit better for you.
1: You look at Auburn baseball this year and you look at the East opponents and you're like, all right you got Florida instead of Vanderbilt win there oh and by the way you get to play Missouri two thumbs up oh oh we got to play three top five teams in the first four weeks of the season and then the matchups after that weren't weren't too much easier you know when you're talking about Florida who I think has talent that's top five top ten caliber just wasn't realizing that until about the time that auburn was getting set to play florida and then georgia's no slouch either they've been in the top 15 in the rankings as well but this segment not about
2: huh? may 12th
1: may 12th is when they release the schedule excellent excellent well that'll be more stuff to talk about we are eight days away nearly a week so it's a week from tomorrow that the nfl will release the actual nailed down like this is the schedule week-to-week matchups for the next NFL season. That'll be coming up a week from tomorrow. But this segment, we're going to rank our top drafts from this past weekend. We spoke about which ones we thought were good yesterday. Now we're going to rank them all the way from, all right, we'll give you our top three drafts. That, that's what we've got right here. So let's start it off at three. Levi, you or me, which one? You can go first.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm still like I'm still on the fence here. I might throw an honorable mention out there because I'm still like highly on the fence with some of these things. I'm going to go with the New York Jets at number three. This is one of the, the winners that's, of the draft. That was one of, that, That's the team I'm trying to debate on. So I'll let on you, whether
1: or not you should even have them in your rankings, but they're still a winner, I believe. No, if we had that,
2: a top five, I, they'd be in that. Yes, 100%. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to differentiate between three and four, and I think I'm leaning towards the Jets because the four would have been... like Three, four, and five are, in some order, Browns, Jets, Bears, and it just depends on how you value it. Like, I, I, I think I lean towards Jets because they got more value... The Bears won the draft simply for they were able to get a future franchise quarterback and you weren't expecting that. They won the draft based off of that. They made great picks after that, but I think the quality of the Jets in like the entirety. They were able to get a franchise quarterback and they didn't like you're looking at the Jets picture like who is in charge now because this is not Jets like at all.
1: Yeah, I didn't include the Bears on my list here. The Bears were a winner. this year's draft but i do not include them in my top three and i got the jets here at three it's kind of hard to believe and this kind of gives you my list here but it's hard to believe the browns the dolphins and the jets some of the most dysfunctional franchises of the last 15 years it's hard to believe that every single one of these teams got things right all in the same draft Now it comes down to development in New York. We talk about the guys that they bring in. Let's look at some of the other teams that had solid drafts. Pretty much every team in the AFC East had solid drafts. Aside from, I mean, the Bills did fine, but nothing that jumps off the page. You talk about the Dolphins and the Jets both had good drafts. Patriots as well. You talk about the three teams that are trying to keep up with the Bills. Also kind of weird to say that. The Jets, the Patriots, and the Dolphins all had solid drafts. The core of a new offense was drafted with quarterback Zach Wilson, guard Elijah Vera Tucker, wide receiver Elijah Moore, and running back Michael Carter, all with their first first four picks. The Jets knew, look, we need some help on offense. Let's start drafting a core here. So they go out, they get a quarterback, a wide receiver, and a running back for a core of skill position players. And then you add to that, you brought in a solid offensive lineman and Elijah Vera Tucker. And then with the last six picks, New York drafted all defensive players five of which are in the secondary, and you have to think at least one of those guys have to hit. I'm I'm playing the odds here. At least one of the five secondary players they drafted have to hit as a starter. So when you look at what New York was able to do, you want to try and pull several starters out of every draft class, maybe three or four there if you can. Three is probably the rule that I've heard multiple people say. Zach is a guy who follows. Zach Blackerby is a guy who follows the draft. He said you want to try and get three guys. I agree with that sentiment. You try and get three guys out of the draft here, you got that with Zach Wilson. You got that with Elijah Vera Tucker. And I think you got that with Elijah Moore as well. You got at least three there. And then I think you hit on some more guys as well, possibly down the line. Possibly Michael Carter pans out at running back. And then you also look, like I said, I'm playing the odds here. At least one of those five guys out of the secondary you drafted, one of those guys has to hit, right? So he maybe even came out with as many as five starters in this year's draft for the New York Jets. I think that gets you in the top three. I, I, I don't, you know, per capita, or maybe not per capita. Like outside of Zach Wilson, I'm not like foaming at the mouth. Like man, these guys did excellent. Like uh, some of these players don't just like jump off the page at me. Other than Zach Wilson, whereas some of the other teams, I think they did have some of those picks. But the Jets, I, I I'm not going to say that they hit on every single pick. I'm not saying I'm not going to say that they made the right decision on every single pick. But when you talk about the percentage of draft picks they had, I think they did the most with what they've gotten. I think they got a lot of starters out of it.
2: And when you look at it, like you hit and you know using Zach's you know you need to get three stars out of the draft like that's that's a good way to look at it if you can get three starters out of your draft you're good and I think they got more than that because I think Michael Carter is a starter for them at running back maybe not immediately because I mean Frank I mean probably in the next 15 years when Frank Gore retires in 15 years <laughs> he'll probably start but like if you think about it you know how high I am on Zach Wilson I think he's got he has all the tools to be able to to be a great, are they your number three as well? Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and lean I that. Sold you? Yeah, you sold me on that. I was trying to figure that out. You get him a good blocker and Elijah Vera Tucker. You get him a dynamic receiver that they don't have. They didn't have a guy like with the home run hitting, like potential that Elijah Moore has. You can find better receivers in this draft than Elijah Moore. Obviously, the readings slip down, but and Ole Miss receivers, man. You got a
1: pretty good shot at hitting here. I mean, you look at A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. They're pumping him out.
2: you you hit on Ole Miss receivers. And you're getting him at good value, where he fell to. He's a first-round talent. Like, he has a first-round grade in the draft. You're getting him later on in the second round. That's a good thing. And also, I mean, just the Jets didn't have great receivers to begin with, and none of them presented that at any moment in time they could score the home run ball. You used to have that with Robbie Anderson – He's with the Panthers. You didn't have that. Like, you know, Jamison Crowder was a good receiver, but you were never threatened that he was going to be a home run guy. You have that with Elijah Moore. It feels a need. And then, I mean, you're looking at you're taking a, a flyer on Jamie and Sherwood, a guy that we know. If he develops into a linebacker who can cover better than most linebackers. Versatile. Versatile, and that's a steal. You're like, you're looking at this and they addressed every need that they had, except for, I don't know, let's say one need they had going in, which was an edge rusher. Oh, by the way, they signed Carl Lawson to it. They've got a lot of needs. And and they So it's kind of hard to fault them for not addressing everyone because they've got a lot of needs. But they but they you at least when you only win one game. That's, but they at that's least, where you're at. They at least filled it. They won two games. Oh, be fair.
1: Yeah, but they That's right. They won the game that put the Jaguars into the first overall yes. draft pick.
2: Yeah. I I think that they they hit they at least tried to address what they needed. And they the ones that were the biggest needs, they filled with better players. And then again, like edge is probably the only one that they didn't address in the draft. But again, they did sign Carl Lawson to in free agency. So that's going to help you out there. I like what they did. I think they really just kind of, it, it, it felt very, it's hard. The only reason your people aren't giving them better grades is because it's the Jets. And they're so used to the Jets fumbling the bag and messing this up. And I think they, I think they did great. I think that they absolutely crushed it.
1: I'm going to go to number two on my list now. I've got AFC East foe Miami Dolphins here at number two. There isn't a lot of quantity here. They didn't have a ton of picks, but there is some quality that does boost them ahead of the Jets here for me. Jalen Waddell, A, is going to give Tua to support on an offense. That needs more weapons, but also B, I think he provides them something that they can use on special teams because we saw what he did at Alabama. So there's kind of a versatile use there for Jalen Waddle, also helping out Tua Tagovailoa. You got Notre Dame offensive tackle Liam Eichenberg. I hope I said that correctly.
2: You did, Notre Dame guy. He boosts
1: the offensive line, an area of concern when you're talking about a guy like Tua who has dealt with injuries and even dealt with an injury or two with Miami last year. Oh, by the way, Miami edge rusher. Jalen Phillips doesn't even have to leave the county man he can continue to terrorize backfields and the place that he played college ball in Miami the defense was solid in Miami last year it was one of the better defenses in all of the NFL that was not their problem the offense was but what I like about this pick is Jalen Phillips is adding a weapon to a defense that was already dangerous this helps keep things fresh schematically helps keep things fresh from a from a personnel perspective it helps keep you updated on the defensive side of the ball and it gets you a little bit more of a pass rushing threat there too i like it. it allows him to come and you know succeed at what he wants to which is pass rushing as an edge player so i like it there wasn't a ton to look at here because there wasn't a ton of picks but what little there is miami added weapons that i think made them better so that's why i've got them at two miami was able to get better with this year's draft and they barely missed the playoffs last year i don't know if that was flash in the pan for them to be that close because they were a 10 and 6 11 and 5 team last year i don't know if that was flash in the pan and i think their division just got a lot tougher the patriots are going to be a better team this year because if cam's not playing well mac jones is going to step in and i think they'll get the most out of him and i think you know the the better of the two will end up playing right like if cam isn't playing well mac jones will come in and will play better i believe that At the end of the day, the Patriots will get the most out of that position. The Patriots are going to be better. You also look at the Bills are still a tough team to beat. And then I think the Jets got better as well this year. They're not a two-win team again, I don't think. I think they're capable of winning four or five games possibly. Every team in this division is capable of winning four or five games. And then when you're looking at the Patriots and the Dolphins, they're both playoff contenders. You can look at two or three teams out of this division for the playoffs next year. So the Dolphins, I don't know if they're making the playoffs next year. Stiffer competition, but I do think they got better on their
2: roster from personnel place yeah they definitely got better um for my number two i actually i actually like the minnesota vikings i like what they did in this draft you get a guy like christian derisaw in because you trade back i thought they were taking him at their initial pick that they had they traded back and he still fell to him i think that's a great a great lineman piece that they could add because the vikings lineman was an issue their line their offensive line was an issue in their defense i mean their defense was abysmal last year and that's not what you expect out of a Mike Zimmer team. They were able to address that. I'm not big on the Kellen Mond thing. I know NFL I. guys are NFL guys are foaming at the mouth for stashing Kellen Mond.
1: I was reading some stuff out there that was saying that the Vikings won this draft because they drafted Kellen and Mond. And I was like,
2: what? I'm I'm not a big. That's Kellen, why they're not on my list. I'm not big Kellen Mond guy, but they had so many picks that if if I'm wrong and I'm wrong in how I evaluate Killamon, and the NFL guys who are getting paid to do this are right, then they did hit on that pick. Not saying that they are. Not saying that it will hit. Not saying it won't hit. I don't like the pick, but a lot of people do. You have that ability to draft a guy like that with you know with some upside that you might think. I like what they did getting Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State, a guard that probably going to end up playing. That line was pretty bad. You get uh, the kid from Iowa, Smith, Mar- Marset. Martet, Marset. Smith Marset out of Iowa, he's a pretty good guy that you got really late. He could kind of come to Chas Surratt out of North Carolina. I think he was a big pretty much
1: North He was Ca- a huge success on the defensive side of the ball at UNC.
2: Pretty much the whole theme of what the Minnesota Vikings did was they addressed their needs. One. Two, they were able to get value. It's like they I never felt outside of the Kelamon pick, which I value different, differently, I don't feel like they were reaching. I think at every pick they were taking. They were getting a valuable guy who helped fill a need for them. Like, I feel like they were just getting the most out of their picks. And I value that a lot. And I think that, I think they did a really good job. And I think that they helped rebuild this team. Offense is fine if they can block for him. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I mean, I don't like him. I mean, he's, you know, my, my least favorite person. You don't like that? Kirk Cousins, he's my least favorite person. He's the only person blocked on my Instagram. He's not allowed to come to my house. Me and Kirk Cousins have a, have a raging beef that happens right now. So I don't like him. What is that for? we'll talk about that on another time but like me and Kirk Cousins I mean like if he ever tried to come to my house he's not allowed inside like is that because of the playoffs no not no this has been years this was probably like 2015 I think 2014 this was when he was still a member of the now Washington football team me and Kirk Cousins we don't get along it's a one-sided beef he doesn't know about it even though I tweet at him all the time and try to dm him and tell him that we have beef but he doesn't know it (laughs) So me and Kirk Cousins again, not a lot in my house. Blocked on Instagram, blocked on Twitter. I don't, I don't allow Kirk Cousins at all. But well, I'll tell you, the Vikings get the were ball. not
1: on my list because of the Kellen Mond selection.
2: That's, I mean, that's fair.
1: It was pretty high for Kellen Mond. I, I felt like I don't know how the guy was evaluated that high. In other drafts, where teams maybe aren't as quarterback happy, kind of wonder if he's like a fifth round, day three selection. Like that's the type of talent that I think he is. Like I, I would not have wasted. A top three-round pick on Kelamont. I'm just not seeing it with the guy. And that was enough. I I thought they had a good draft outside of Kelamont. That's the reason why they're not on my list, because they drafted him.
2: I agree that. He's also better than Kirk Cousins. There you go.
1: (laughs) That is not true. I know you're just—I know you're messing. Well, then, I know you're messing. I know you're messing. Because I don't like either of them. Other people may not. I don't
2: like either of them, but— Kirk Cousins, he's shown that he can at least get the ball to their receivers. They got fi- fine receivers, a great—I mean, great receivers. He's a luxury. top
1: fifteen quarterback in the NFL.
2: And when top you 13. when you have Justin Jefferson, when you have Adam Thielen, when you have Irv Smith, when you have Dalvin Cook, if you can just shore up that line, Justin Jefferson. Did you say that? Yeah, that was first guy. Oh, my I mean, he's—I mean, he's going to be a top five receiver in this league. You know, by the end of this year or next year, in my opinion, I, I'm that high on Justin Jefferson. If they can block. And help get the ball to him. And I think they did that. We'll tell you our top draft from
1: this past weekend. On the other side of this break, you're listening On the Line. We wrap up hour number one when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. Got about three minutes left in the first hour. We're going to tell you our top draft from this past weekend. Levi, take it away. Who is your top draft? From this past weekend,
2: yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because you did talk about it last segment. I think the Miami Dolphins were the winners of the draft for me. I think they had the best draft. They got the second best receiver in my opinion, Jalen Waddle, a guy that they needed. They needed a little bit more explosion at that receiver position. They're trying to help Tua become what they drafted Tua to be, and that is a franchise quarterback. And they're trying to put pieces around him. Jalen Phillips falling to them at their second pick. That's a great. That's a great value pick. You already hit on it. Eichenberg, I mean, he's going to help shore up that offensive line. I think that's a good pick. Hunter Long was a guy that people were a little high on with the tight end selection late. Uh, You can afford to do that because you've already got Mike Gesicki on the line as well, so you could... You can take a swing on a guy like that people It's like a Harrison
1: Bryant selection that the Browns had because the Browns yeah. got him in like the fourth or fifth round, but he was the best tight end in college football a year ago.
2: And it's just like... Best tight
1: end in college football this year went fourth overall.
2: Yeah, and you're looking... Yeah, well, I mean, he's a different type of tight end because yeah. he's going fourth overall. But yeah, like you can never have... You can never not take a swing on a tight end as talented as Hunter Long is that late. I would have liked for them to take Brevin Jordan, but Brevin Jordan ended up slipping to the fifth round, so apparently people weren't evaluating him as highly as I was. I think with all their picks, they addressed their needs. They got better, and I think this is a playoff team. It was a playoff, it was a playoff caliber team last year. Unfortunate that 10-6 and six didn't get you into it in the AFC. I think this is a playoff team this year.
1: My number one, the Cleveland Browns. The Browns did not mess up on a single pick. That is right. They didn't mess up. The Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns did not mess up on a single pick in a draft. That's wild. The Browns were able to address major needs across the board. Greg Newsome joins Denzel Ward at cornerback. Cleveland has excellent bookend corners now, which is a need in the NFL if you're going to compete for a Super Bowl. Inside linebacker received a facelift with the incredible value pick of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. This guy was mocked in the first round, and essentially because Cleveland got him late in the second round, Cleveland's able to bring in two first-round Talent picks onto their team. Nobody else was able to do that this year, other than teams that had two first-round picks, and they may even mess that up. Looking at
2: you, Raiders. I don't. I don't know. I think the Jets got. I think the Jets got three first-round guys because they got Elijah Moore in the second round. So like, I think That's they ended up point. with three. That's but, a good point. But they also they had two picks. So I mean, they got three because they had two. Yeah. But like, I mean, similar boat. But they also like. I mean, that Jeremiah Wusu Kermo should not have been there where Cleveland was picking, and it also. That was their biggest need. Their biggest need was a linebacker, and they filled that they up. They filled it, it magically. Mean, you, they hit. They hit on everything. They hit on everything. I think that they did.
1: Offensive line, Cincinnati offensive tackle James Hudson's going to provide depth for an offensive line. He doesn't have to start right away because it was still a good unit when it wasn't hurt. When he got hurt, then we were like, "Well, uh, practice squad, here we go." That's what happened in the playoffs. You also got. Tommy Togiai coming from Ohio State. Defensive tackle gives us a good value pick in the interior of the defensive line. Tony Fields, Richard LeCount, solid depth pieces for the defense that could turn out to be good players. Oh, by the way, Cleveland drafted some good special teams talent in Anthony Schwartz and Demetrius Felton. Anthony Schwartz also going to provide an extra dimension to the wide receiver room. I'm pumped.
2: Browns, Browns did mess up. Fronts. Great draft, great draft.
1: Hour number two upon the Line coming up on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga, and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll-free at
1: 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. As promised, Zach Blackerby joining us on the show here on this Tuesday afternoon. Zach, how you doing today, my man?
3: I'm good, man. I'm good. Being on the line on a Tuesday feels a little different than on a Wednesday. I kind of like this, Noah. I kind of like this. So, uh, But yeah, we got some news to talk about. Zach you're right we've got some news to
1: talk about today a handful of Auburn football players and you kind of wonder if the storm is done yet but a handful of Auburn football players have entered the transfer portal it started with Jaron Handy moved on to Jay Hardy and Cheo Garnett and now it's Chris Thompson Jr. let's go back all the way to the first one Jaron Handy uh, you know, although he's going to be an outside linebacker, Jaron Handy and Jay Hardy, two guys that are going to be closer to the line of scrimmage and closer to the backfield sure. than a true linebacker, what does
3: it mean for Auburn football to lose those two players? I think you lose depth pieces. I think when you look at Stone Handy, a lot of people were surprised that they had him as one of these edge linebackers that Derek Mason has in this new system. 'Cause he's kind of big. And I don't know if he really has that pop and that first step that a lot of these guys do. So that surprised me a little bit. But we've heard, you know, how good he looked and how impressive he has been throughout spring. But yeah, the the news breaking for him, I guess that happened on Friday, if I remember correctly. And so he's on his way out. And then uh Monday we get news with uh with Hardy and then as well as uh Garnett, and I think I think a lot of this has to do with culture. I think a lot of this has to do with potential playing time. And uh, I I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how the fan base responds to all of this. Because I think bottom line is, you lose some depth pieces in the front seven. um, Those aren't as big of a deal as the news that broke earlier today.
1: And that news that you're referring to, Chris Thompson Jr. deciding to dabble in the transfer portal. Of course, you still have a chance to come back, but I imagine this is part of his exit from the Plains.
3: I think so. I think so. I don't think he does this unless he's unhappy or you know sees some sort of writing on the wall. So yeah, I, th- I definitely think that he is planning his exit. So fourth since Friday, which is uh, definitely interesting. And you look at it, I mean, this guy played in six games last year as a true freshman, and a lot of people really in the know really like Chris Thompson. And going into spring, when we were kind of predicting what it would look like, the big question was, okay... What does Ladarius Tennyson do? Last year, he was the backup inside corner, that nickel position. And the question was, does he stay there or does he play safety? And then what does that mean for Chris Thompson? You know, who's going to be the guy next to Smoke Monday? And as soon as we started seeing these guys, you know, in these open viewing windows, to my surprise, but I was happy with it, you know, you, you saw more Ladarius Tennyson in that safety role than you did as Chris Thompson was kind of the backup safety there. So. Is he unhappy with that? Maybe. I mean, LaDarius Tennis is good. LaDarius Tennis is not going anywhere. He's not going to be able to beat him out. And uh, especially with all the depth that Auburn has at corner, the move makes sense. Uh, I think it's going to allow you to get more of your top-end talent on the field immediately. So, did he not want to sit behind that? That makes sense. Think Uh,
1: about all the freshmen coming in, too. Auburn recruited like three or four safeties in this past recruiting class alone.
3: Yeah, I didn't really think Chris Thompson would be... Hindered from a playing time standpoint by those guys, just You're because right. I, I really think he's a really, really good safety. He was one of my favorite guys in that recruiting class. But yeah, he's on his way out, and so that's going to be interesting. And you and I were talking about this before we turned the uh, you know we cracked the microphones on, but it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of buzz about that former Vandy safety Donovan Kaufman, and uh, according to Auburn undercover, uh, Auburn undercover's uh, Keith Niebuhr, who I think is the best in the biz. He's now the Auburn and Texas as far as his services. Derek Mason guy really likes Derek Mason. Would he be better than a guy, you know, that I mean he he probably pops up the depth chart a little bit. You know what I mean? So then what does that mean for Chris Thompson Jr.? So Well, think about this for the Vanderbilt transfer.
1: What position group does Derek Mason work closest with? The safeties.
3: Uh the answer to that is safety. Yes. Right. So a big Absolutely. part of that is a- and
1: why I think Auburn And I don't have any inside information on this, but if I was just estimating from the outside looking at this, I would imagine that a guy would want to go and play with his former head coach that now he's going to get to work a whole lot closer with on the defensive side of the football.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you look at relationships and all that. I mean, we assume that his relationship with Derrick Mason was good. And based on, you know, message board chatter, it was, but you can only take that so far. I think Kaufman comes to Auburn. I don't know... I mean, did did they see this? I mean, do they see this coming, and that's why Chris Thompson is 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 out? I don't know. I don't know if that's the sole reason. But when you look at it, and you mentioned Auburn's got a lot of really talented young defensive backs that will eventually play for the Tigers. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I think they might have to now at least at least one or two of them. Amari Harvey is going <laughs> yeah. to have the
1: the most clear path to playing time as a reserve role at safety because now he's right behind. Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson, but after that, is it a Jawan Gaston or some of the other players that committed this past class?
3: Right, yeah, and that's going to be fun to see, and they'll they won't get to figure that out till fall, sadly. And then if Kaufman comes in, do those guys even matter at this point? So you're right, though. You're you're right. I mean, this is going to be a a, a it's going to be an interesting battle in fall camp for some of these reserve safety roles. I'm surprised by this news, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Noah, in regards to. All right, now this is the fourth guy since Friday. What's going on? I mean, is this a a Harson coming in situation and he's clearing house? Or is this a culture thing? I think it is a culture thing. And you saw a lot of these guys, or you saw two of them, not participate in A-Day. Chris Thompson did participate in A-Day. But do you think it has to do with, hey, it's my way or the highway, and those guys were not interested in that? I mean... It could be that. I think it could also be
1: this. Since you've already explained that point of view, that perspective, I'm going to go in a different direction here. I haven't really been thinking about it in terms of a culture shift because I think you would have already seen those guys transfer out before now. I think all of that would have taken place. I've really been looking at this more of a playing time situation and the fact that the transfer portal rule was just passed, all of these guys see this opportunity now like, Well, I can leave, I can go to greener greener pastures, and I can play right away, which I don't always believe is the right thing to do for some of these guys, because a lot of times we saw a lot of guys drafted this past weekend that stayed put and ended up getting to start later on in their career, and they used that time to develop, and they made it to the next level. Now, on the other side, everybody's situation is different. Go and do the best thing for you, but make sure it's the best thing for you and make sure you think out the decision well because I like the fact that we have the ability now to, that that this rule is a thing. I like the fact thats that it is, that it is a thing. Not only does it make my job easier, it's more fun to talk about this stuff Correct. in the offseason. It, it's a heck of a fun time to discuss this stuff throughout this offseason. We've, we've been talking about football news every week. The other side of it is, though, now we don't have to deal with the garbage that we had to deal with with Joey Gatewood and kentucky and then the illinois linebacker or tight end whichever it was now everybody's got a shot one time you get it and then the second time there's the waiver process and you could still get that barring certain circumstances so i like that this is a thing but i do not like how we're already beginning to see players utilize this rule i feel like there has been no patience whatsoever this has been i mean you look at the numbers there there is exponentially more players in the transfer portal this year alone than where we were where where we were even at last time at this point in the year so like I don't get it these guys aren't I don't believe they're being patient I think they're just jumping at it and leaving at their first shot because they didn't get their way maybe at at their school and I'm not saying that it's necessarily these four players at Auburn that that's what's going on here but I think we are seeing a theme of that across college football where guys are like they've left spring and now they're like well I was the backup all across spring. I'm not going to start next year. I'm gone. Yeah. I think that may be what we're looking
3: at. It is interesting, though, because I think some of these guys would have played. They would have been starters, but like Chris Thompson, unless injury happened, like he would not have been a starter. I think three of these four guys play. Decent snaps.
1: All as backups, but decent snaps as backups.
3: Yeah, I'm with you on all of them, but Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I assume Garnett is the one of the yes. four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the third or maybe fourth-string quarterback. But he barely played in the spring game. But but all the other guys, like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally there with you. Um, and then you can actually see a pretty clear path to a lot of these guys being starters, you know, in the 2022 season if they just kind of be, you know, a role player for a season. But this is the new era of college football. It's the new era of college sports. A lot of people have been asking this for a long time, and I think it's better. I think it makes the sport better, but right now it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system, just as we kind of recalibrate and get used to this. Right, this is an unintended consequence that I was talking about. I don't. I, I think they intended this. I think they're okay with this. Okay. I, I, I don't think this is a byproduct of something. I, I mean, the unintended consequence that I mean is, and maybe people did expect
1: this, so maybe I shouldn't say it's unintended. Maybe I should just say this is a consequence. Sure, but. The consequence here is, and maybe I even to a degree expected this, players weren't going to be patient, and players were, in a way, I don't like saying misused because they're following the rule, but what I'm trying to say is maybe they aren't thinking it through and they're making rash decisions rather than making this transfer
3: count, right?
1: Yeah, you only get one free one. You only get one free one, right? So who's to say that you leave and it's actually not greener on the other side of the fence. You Especially
3: know? when you look at a guy like Chris Thompson who came in, played as a true freshman, when not a lot of true freshmen played on the defensive side of the ball last year. And then... And you're that, still young. You're still young. Last year didn't even count from an eligibility standpoint. You still have four years. Right. You're going to be a starter next season. Not in 2021, but next season, after Smoke Monday leaves. And then it's like, well, you can play as long as you want. Because, I mean, you just got so much eligibility left. So th- that one surprises me. And that one is like, is it playing time-related? Because like I don't know. I'm not sold that it's playing time-related. I think Harson has come in and he's running a program different. We all saw the, the quote that was from that story in The Athletic about how he, he just talked about and he was shocked about the culture where it's like some days it's just trying to get guys to show up on time. And I think he really inherited a culture that was not anything similar to what he was doing at Boise State. I, I really think that's a big, big part of it. I don't want to say that all four of these guys that we've talked about so far fall into that category because, like, Garnett, sure. I, I got a feeling he's going to go to a much smaller school. You know, maybe he follows um, who was the offensive coordinator that's now at Florida State. Kinney, Dillingham. Dillingham that's it you know maybe he follows him to FSU I don't know I think FSU a little too good for you know what he can probably offer a team but we'll see we'll Dilly see. Dilly yeah Dilly Dilly absolutely so but yeah I, I think it's a culture thing and I think this is Harson really putting his fingerprint on the program getting the guys that want to kind of buy into his system I, I think that's what we're seeing you know there's that saying you know I hope I get this right I hope I don't hope I don't
1: botch this here but there's that saying where if you you raise your standards you lose your losers you lower your standards you lose your winners. I don't I don't I'm not I'm not applying that fully to these four players here. I'm not saying that, but it's not a bad thing that you're seeing guys leave. Auburn fans we've seen this all during the Gus Malzahn tenure. Someone transfers that was a high profile recruit. People just they lose their mind. They start panicking. Right? I don't think now is the time to panic because. No starters have left, first of all. no, Nobody's – I mean, Big Cat Bryant and Daquan Newkirk left as soon as Malzahn was fired, but it, we haven't seen this regime put out anybody that you're like, well, this guy's going to start and play significant snaps all season long. That has not happened yet. And so these are these are part of growing pains, right? And I think it's a good thing for the program to be going through a culture shift because I, I believe
3: it sorely needed it. I really do. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think that quote that you said really – Really, kind of fits in line with, if if this is what's happening, I, I think it is. I mean, there's no question what he's been able to do at Boise State. Uh, does it translate? And and we'll have to see. Have you looked at the 2019 recruiting class lately? Uh, well, it's not on campus anymore, is it? <laughs> so there was 21 enrollees, three transfers. The 21 enrollees: Owen Papo, Bo Nix, Charles Moore, gone. I was Mark,
1: like, who is that?
3: Mark Anthony Richards, gone. Jaron Handy, gone. Zion Puckett's still there. Hadn't really panned out, but he's still there. KeAndre Jones, backup guard. Could be a starting guard. Maybe. Maybe so. I I think he's good. I think he's good. Derrick Hall, solid. Cam Kelly, didn't make it a class. Deshaun Sheffield. DJ Williams. Jalen Simpson has been great. Colby Wooden's been great. Javarius Johnson, wait and see. Tyler Fromm, Nehemiah it has been fantastic, Justin Osborne, Kamar Bell, Luke Deal, Octavius Brothers, and then Cam Brown. So those last few names were great. Then Zach Ferrar was a transfer that they brought in. He transferred out. Uh, Michael Cohn, I'm not familiar with who he is. And then J.J. Wilson, a guy that they like, drastically misused in the offense. Not a great look for that class. Thank goodness for Bo Nix and Owen Papo. At least some of the lower-ranked the lower guys, they've panned out, though. The defensive backs. Especially with Pritchett and um, and Simpson, the way you
1: talk about that 2019 class, although you lost all of your top end guys, I think you got extreme value out of your lower ranked players.
3: Right, but you know, Auburn fans, you know, especially the fans that follow recruiting closely, it's like they always get the four stars. It's like where are the five stars? And and Bo Nix and Owen Papo have been great, but. It's it's it, it just it seems like with a defensive back standpoint, like a lot of these guys like are three star dudes that have really kind of come into their own. So it'll be interesting to see what the track record looks like, you know, with some of Harson's class in the future. But I mean, you can go back to a lot of Malzon's classes and just be like, wow, a lot of these guys really really left. But yeah, that 2019 class is looking uh, thinner and thinner.
1: I think it's more likely that you see Brian Harson convert on these three stars. But then Gus Malzahn did. Comparing the two, I think it's more likely that you see these three stars hit because Harson has shown his ability to do that at Boise at a high level, different level of, uh, of playing field there. But I, did, I do think we've seen him compete against major programs on that side of the country that are recruiting four stars. But the question for me is, for Harson, is can he can he land those four stars and can he hit on those two? Because that
3: will be the true testament of whether or not he is successful it's in It's going to take SEC. time. It's going to take time. Are, are we doing good? Do we need to go to break? Because there's another topic I want to bring up to you. Do we have go time? Go for it. Go for Do it. Do we have time? Okay. Go for it. Did you read uh, Tom Green's story on ale.com that he put out Thursday night? <laughs> I did. About the, the quarterback evaluation? Yes. I thought that was incredible. I liked it. I thought that was incredible. For those who don't know, have you, have you talked about it on the show? We have not yet, no. Yeah, so I mean, for, for those who are unaware or just need a refresher, Uh, The the gist of it is, while Harson was at Boise State, he had Zach Wilson committed for months to Boise State, uh, being a three-star guy. I think he was ranked like the 900th player in the country, something like that. And he was committed. Then, like, the last week or so of the recruiting process, the whole, I want to stay closer to home bug, bit him. So he stayed at BYU. And also, he was really, really pursuing Trey Lance, who at the time was, of course, committed to North Dakota State. And Trey Lance's word um, to North Dakota State, he's just like, he couldn't go back on it, which I respect. I think that's great. But Trey Lance was ranked like the 2000th player uh, coming out of high school football in his class. And Harson, despite both of them being three stars, he wanted both of those guys very, very bad. And so I say all that to say, when he starts recruiting these three-star quarterbacks, let's don't panic oh i'm pumped about holding garner yeah i am i hope i'm still pronouncing that last name correctly i've heard garner Garner. i've been saying garner but but yeah yeah and he was a three-star guy he got harsons you know he 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 committed to auburn and now he is he is um he's a four-star but yeah i i think when you look at his track record when you look at brian harson's track record as far as having that eye for talent even talk about the guys that stepped on campus with him not the guys he missed on but the guys that played for him right Absolutely. And so he's, he's been such a good job of identifying talent. Now, the question is, you asked the right question, is he going to be able to land those guys? That's the question. And it's going to take time for him to figure out, you know, what parts of Auburn are better parts of the sales pitch and, and all of that. This past Saturday, he was a speaker at Storybook Farms Derby Day, and, and he talked about talent and having an eye for talent and a knack for all of that. That's kind of what he worked into, you know, his message at Derby Day. And that's who he is. That's what he thinks about. And so I think uh, I think it's exciting. So I say all that to say to kind of put a bow on our segment. I appreciate your time. Uh, let me have uh, you know. Let me come on with you, Noah. But the, the the whole the whole thing of you know people panicking because people are leaving the program. It's okay. It's all right. Zach, I appreciate it, my man. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, uh, on social media, just search Z Blackerby. And, of course, search Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, brother. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. We'll
1: be back on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama follow fox sports central alabama on facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more all on fox sports central alabama on foxsports983.com and on facebook that's foxsports983.com you can watch the show on facebook on fox sports central alabama espn 1067 and radio alabama sports Noah garner levi fitzwater are on the show with you here at 3 p.m., thank you to Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn for joining the show in that previous segment to start off hour number two. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Still talking about the NFL draft that occurred this past week and weekend. We ranked our top drafts from this past weekend in our number no in hour number one. Now we're going to rank the worst drafts that we saw this past weekend. That's what we're going to do here over our next couple of segments here across our number two. Levi, let's get into it, my man. Ranking the worst drafts. I went first in ranking our top drafts. You go first in ranking our worst drafts.
2: So how are we doing this? We, we're, we're not doing three our... Three to one. We're doing the three to one. The third would technically be the 30th ranked yes. pick. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go with... I, I've been flip-flopping between these two teams. I think I'm going to go with the Seahawks here. And it's nothing against the picks they made because I think they did really well with the picks they made, similarly to what the Texans they did. They had no picks. They had, what, they had four picks? They I had think. Three. Three. They had three picks. And hear me out. I like all their picks, I like all the ones they made. Dwayne Eskridge, I think he is a fantastic player. I've been big on him. He is a just absolute athlete out of Western Michigan. I love Stone Forsyth. He's a good tackle out of Florida. Like Trey Brown, he comes in, he can play some cornerback for you. But you had three picks, and it—it's it, hard f- to do well in the draft when you only have three. Was flip-flopping between them and the Texans to put here? The Texans had a little more picks, so the Seahawks. Again, I don't think they did bad with the picks they made, but it's hard for me to say that they didn't have one of the worst drafts when you walk away with three players and you have needs on that team. It's not like if a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where you're you're pretty confident in almost every roster. If they only had three picks, you feel a lot more you feel better because their team is well put together. The Saints a few years ago, that team, not now because, you know, the salary cap hits and all that, but a few years ago, that team was loaded top to bottom with talent. You would feel okay when a team only has three picks because they don't have any glaring needs and weaknesses. The Seahawks, I feel like they have some needs and weaknesses that they couldn't address in this draft because they didn't have the picks. And I think that's why I'm going to put them as the number three overall on my worst drafts.
1: I'm going with the Las Vegas Raiders here at three. And this is kind of interesting because it's been pretty consensus that the Raiders had the worst draft from a value perspective and from a needs perspective as well. When you look at what the Raiders did, you look at all these different outlets ranking these drafts. It's pretty consensus. Everybody, there's groupthink going on that the Raiders had the worst draft out there this past weekend. That They did the worst job. I think they did horribly, but I don't think that they had the worst draft. I'm gonna have the Seahawks and the Texans in front of these guys on my list and in no and particular order. And there. that's fair
2: because they didn't have a lot of picks to go with. Right. But I'm going
1: to at least, like I said, give credit to the Raiders for having picks. They may still end up getting some starters out of this. I think they reached a little bit on Leatherwood, but I saw Nagy, the the senior bowl, the 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 head of the senior bowl, you know what I'm talking about. That yeah. the the guy who puts it together. I, I don't know why his first name is currently a miss to me. Is it Jim Nagy? Is Jim right? Sounds Jim sounds right. So uh, go and do research on that for me. But I saw him on Twitter saying that Leatherwood was mocked as a It's Jim. He he was mocked as a first rounder to a lot of teams, or at least a lot of teams were giving him a first round grade and somewhere between twenty and thirty two. That was what I saw on his Twitter account. So it really wasn't that big of a reach for the Raiders to draft him at 17 if they really liked the guy. But still, I, I'm not super high up on the pick. I know a ton of people aren't, so we'll we'll at least keep it in that same vein as maybe a little bit of a reach for them. They also drafted three safeties, one of which I thought was a good pick. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Merrick. Was, Travon,
2: uh, Trayvon Merrick out of TCU.
1: Pretty good pick, but they drafted two more safeties after him. And that's not a position that your franchise is going to fold on, it definitely helps shore up your defense. And it can take a good-slash-great defense to an elite defense if you have great safeties at the next level. But it's not a position where I'm like, man, I got to draft three safeties to, to to be successful next year. And the Raiders have other issues. It was kind of befuddling to me that they decided to put three picks on one of the smaller position groups on the entire roster. You typically don't take that many safeties either on your 53 man roster why did you just draft three it felt like they wasted some of their picks down the line so from a from a value standpoint for me the raiders didn't appear to get better i think leatherwood helps them get better i just didn't like the value
2: that's that's my main issue there and that's fair and that when you're evaluating draft that's something you have to evaluate you have to take into account might have been
1: something better there
2: yeah i mean I, i that's true. I mean, especially when you have you have needs at linebacker, you have needs at defensive tackle, you have needs at the interior interior line, which that does address. But like you, I think there were better available guys that fit needs that they had at that position. When where they were picking in the second round, you probably could have gotten Alex Leatherwood there, and you could have coupled that. And it's possible that you could have gotten him there, and or you could have gotten him or a lineman of similar caliber in that spot in the second round where they were picking to couple that up with a guy like you know I don't know Karamoa who ended up going to the Browns he had a first round grade you Mm -hmm. could have addressed your linebacking needs there or you could have tried to trade back and maybe couple a couple of picks around that second spot it was just hard because I think that was a reach and I think that's where once that happened I think it derailed the Raiders draft class there and I still I have I mean I have them at number one. So like I, I will talk about that in depth later.
1: <laughs> I I was at least I was at least like, man, they had picks. They might hit here. Leatherwood may end up becoming a good offensive lineman for the Raiders. The value there I didn't like. I love their second pick with
2: Say it again. With uh, Trayvon Merrick. Hard
1: to pronounce the last
2: name when you just look at it on it paper, just looks, but it looks i I, and even me sitting here looking at it i still kind of want to flip-flop seattle and houston like it's hard for me to not want to flip those two but i don't know those two it's just because they didn't have a lot of picks
1: on the other side of this break we're going to give you our top two worst drafts of this year's nfl draft stay tuned for that conversation on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes left till the end of our show, and then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Great show for you guys today. It's been solid. We had Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast at 3 o'clock. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We talked about Auburn safety, Chris Thompson Jr. entering the transfer portal, as well as Alabama football unveiling the advantage, a new program where they're helping elevate their athletes' social media brands, also training them in financial literacy. A lot of interesting stuff going on with NIL and how teams and programs are responding to it, and Alabama looks to be staying ahead of the curve Our number two here, we're ranking our worst drafts of the 2021 NFL draft. We gave you our top drafts, and now we're number one. Now we are on to our worst drafts. We have each tackled number three on our list. Now it's time to the top two. Levi, give me your second one.
2: I'm going with the Rams. I don't think the Los Angeles Rams did anything to improve their team. One, they haven't drafted in the first round since they took Jared Goff in 2017, and they're not going to until 2024. I mean, like they've traded every first rounder that they've had, and they're I don't, chasing a Super Bowl right now. They're chasing a Super Bowl, but like I don't think that their their team is built to make it to a Super Bowl at certain areas. And like though, and if you're drafting, where you're drafting at, your first pick is Tutu Atwell, which again is a guy who has some explosion and like playmaking abilities. But was this team really lacking a receiver? I mean, you took Van Jefferson last year. You still have Cooper Cup. You've got Cooper Cup. You've got Bobby Trees. You got you know Robert Woods out there playing very, very well. One of the most underrated ones in the league. At the receiver. offense
1: isn't the problem right now.
2: No, and like you have a guy in Cam Akers who's coming along. Like you, like Jalen Ramsey at corner, he's awesome. Like you, you need to supplement the defense a little bit. And they went defense in this draft after taking two out well, but it just felt like at times they were just kind of. Reaching on certain prospects throughout this, like you go with a guy like Robert Rochelle out of central Arkansas later in the draft, like it just felt like it didn't make a lot of sense with some of the picks like it just did it, it never felt like they got it just never felt like they addressed what they needed to address at certain s- situations. I would have and I think again, it starts with that two two pick because I don't think that addressed the need for them i like I don't know I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with the draft but it didn't it didn't feel like they had a plan going in
1: there's a power shift going on right now in the nfc west not immediately for the rams i think the seahawks are on a fast trip down i really do i i I, and i'll talk about them in a bit but i think that the seahawks could end up being at the bottom of the division in a couple of years back in rebuilding mode because they get older every year and they're running out of pieces every year and you you're like name a name a name name two of their receivers right <laughs> like you know name, you know who's their running uh,
2: go ahead dk metcalf tyler lockett that's
1: fair that's fair and they DJ, hit on dk metcalf
2: yeah devin moore i mean he's you know uh freddie swain that's a guy i play a lot of DraftKings. okay
1: that's a good point. That's a good point. Lockett I'm and wrong, Metcalf, I'm but outside guy, of that, though, I'm the
2: wrong guy to I'm the wrong guy to ask that because I love playing those single game showdowns, and mm-hmm. the Seahawks are always in prime time at some point. You so, understand
1: my point, though, outside yeah. of Lockett, and Metcalf, man, like, and there are a lot oh, of no names down. on the Seahawks roster.
2: So, well, they draft like the Seahawks draft really well throughout the draft, typically, like in their lower range of picks. They're, they've been abysmal at drafting in the first round. Like, uh, you know, insert Rashad Penny here. They haven't done very well with their first round picks. And they they usually hit on the later guys. That's how the Legion of Boom came to be. They drafted really well. They're also getting older. They're the having draft. a
1: harder time managing the cap. I you yeah. look at the other teams too around it. This is more about the other teams of the West anyway. My point is yes. the Cardinals are on an ascension. The 49ers were a quarterback away and some injuries away this year from re, from being right back in the hunt and being at the top of the division and being back in the Super Bowl hunt. They got their quarterback now. And it's not like the roster got any worse anywhere else. They just got to be healthy. And the Niners are back in being one of the contenders for a Super Bowl this upcoming year. I mean, they they have a solid roster. And you talk about the Rams right now, they're chasing Super Bowl. Still talking about your Rams here on your list, though. And a couple years from now, with the way that they've been drafting, there's no investment for the future. So after this run at a Super Bowl ends, if they don't come away with a ring, it was all for naught.
2: Yeah, and, and that's how I feel you like you got to it, lose 10-3. Good and, for you. And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the problem when you go through this mentality. I mean, you saw it, honestly, with the Saints the past few years because they were all in on Drew Brees trying to get him to a Super Bowl. If you don't, if something happens and you don't reach it, whether it be injuries, whether it be you just flat out get beat at home by a team that you shouldn't get beat by, whether it's the referees, whether it's just you get old and you— Super Bowls are hard to win. No. If it, if, when it's boom or bust like that, you boom— It works. People love it. But more times than not, it's going to bust out like that because Super Bowls are hard to win.
1: The 49ers are entering their prime. I I, I genuinely believe that. If, If they hit on Trey Lance, the 49ers roster is young. They really don't have a whole lot of
2: weaknesses, and they went to a Super Bowl two years ago. They probably ahead of
1: schedule, right? If they stay healthy, this team is entering their prime right here, right now.
2: They finally have better receivers. Like you, exactly. finally have guys coming to be like Brandon Ayuk at the end of the year was coming along strong. Even nobody dra- can tackle Kittle. You dra- Kittle, I mean Kittle is Kittle. If Trey Lance is, you know, Trey Lance, he's going to be fine bosa will be back this year on the defensive side of things and the cardinals are on an ascension
1: so you've got two teams right there who are shifting towards the top of the division and then you've got the seahawks and the rams the rams are in the the latter part of their prime they could still eke a super bowl out of it they're in that kind of territory with the types of moves that they made in the offseason to bring stafford in they're trying but if they don't get it, in a couple years, they're out. Like yep. they, they will shift to third in the division. The Seahawks very well could be last. I'll go back to the Seahawks later, though. My number two is the Houston Texans. I am going to be hard on Houston here. I really am. And I'm shocked that Houston's not on your list. I know you think that they did the most with what they had. But I'm going to be hard on That's Houston what I here. That's why I said I,
2: like, I, the more I look at it, I want to flip Seattle and Houston on my list. Because like I think both of them are bad. Like Because yeah. they didn't have a lot of picks and i I honestly at the top of my list seattle's hard because they only had three and like i honestly i could probably swap either of them but i'll I'll, I'll give houston a pass because i do think they did a couple things that i liked a little bit better i'm going to be hard on houston here for their previous gm's decisions
1: because it impacted this draft oh yeah (laughs) you can't have a good draft if you didn't have a pick in the first two rounds not only that but the Texans didn't really address any concerns here. In the past year, you've lost DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt, and there wasn't really a response here by the Texans. I understand feeling the need to draft Davis Mills with your first pick in the third round. I understand feeling the need to go quarterback there. I get it. But it feels like... But, but drafting Davis Mills in that third round feels like it is an image of of how pitiful the Texans organization is right now considering they had to draft Davis Mills out of this loaded quarterback class. If the Texans had made good decisions in the past... They might could have gotten one of the better quarterbacks in this draft because they would have at least been drafting in the first or second round, right? They would have at least had a first round pick, or maybe they could have been in the market for a Mac Jones. Instead, they were out of the first round. They were sitting on the sidelines until day two and the end of day two at that, and they had to go and take one of the scraps of a really talented quarterback class, which the odds of hitting on this guy... I, I I know you like him but like it's still like not a great situation for him to walk into when you talk about the talent or lack thereof around him he's got an aging running back he doesn't have any more receivers they didn't even answer the receiver problem and then you talk about JJ Watt leaves and they're like oh we, we don't need an edge rusher anymore we don't need someone who can get a uh, you know can get a pass rush on any of the quarterbacks in our division so for me, it's hard for these guys to even be remotely considered out of this bottom three because a they didn't have any picks and B, they did not effectively address the concerns that their franchise currently has the Texans right now for me and I'm being hard on them when I say this they are close to being one of the worst franchises in football.
2: I mean they've traditionally been one of the worst franchises in football and I think that's I'm also getting into like poorly ran category now though. I mean, they kind of always have. Like, I mean, you sure. think about it. They really have been poorly ran for the most part. The thing that kills me, so the GM, the GM issues, yeah, with the Houston Texans are there. The reason I put the Seahawks ahead of them, simply for the fact that the Seahawks, they have expectations next year. The Texans don't. Deshaun Watson, if he's not playing because of his legal issues or if he's out of there, you're expected to be bad you'll be in the hunt for a quarterback next year. And it's a good quarterback class as well next year. Maybe not as loaded as this one, but I think there is some value. This should be the worst team in the NFL next year. so I, can, I, I think so. And that's why I can pass on them and give them a little leeway because I'm looking for it. Next year, they should be able to go get a guy that they want. They could get a guy like Sam Howell. They could get a Spencer Rattler. They, you know, like they could get one of those two guys if they want could him. Could the
1: Raiders be the worst team in the NFL next year?
2: I don't think so. I, th- I think the Raiders roster in itself is too talented to not be – like. I don't think they could be worse than the Texans. Like what the,
1: if the wheels fell off, though?
2: I mean, if the, if it does, it does. I'm still big. It did towards the end of last season. I'm still big on Derek Carr. I, I still think Gruden's been doing some decent things. Look, they got too much talent. Like When you have a guy like Derek Fair Carr, point. he can get the ball. If Henry Ruggs takes a step in the right direction, you got him. You've got Brian Edwards, you've got Darren Waller, you have two good running backs now, Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. The defense is always going to be their issue. I mean, you replace Khalil Mack with Max Crosby out of eastern Michigan. You really can't expect that to happen too much. And also like the Who's your worst draft? The Raiders were my worst draft. Okay. Like, they were my worst draft. Like just a, a little bit with the Texans. I like Nico Collins out of Michigan, helps give them a good receiver. I love that they got value out of Brevin Jordan, who I thought was the second, or I'm sorry, the third best, second or third best tight end in this class. He slips all the way to the fifth round. I like that. I think the ceiling on De- Davis Mills of what he could be. Will he reach that? Probably not. I like the kid. He is going to Houston, which is unfortunate for him, in my opinion. You're going to have Tyrod Taylor starting, and you're going to have a, a valuable young backup in Davis Mills, who could put it together a little bit maybe later on in his career. But I just think. The expectation of next year, it's going to be next year's draft because you're you're going, you're going to be bad. That's what put Houston ahead of Seattle for me was because Seattle, they're they're not expecting to be bad, so they need to improve. Oh, in I'll get to areas. Seattle
1: in a second. I'll get to they, Seattle in a second. They
2: need to improve in a little bit.
1: Now vent on the Raiders
2: for me. So for the Raiders, oh, also one more thing: JJ Watt overrated five sacks last year. You don't really have to worry about replacing him. I mean, this guy. <laughs> Uh, five sacks last year, four sacks the year before. Uh, I mean, really kind of overrated. So you really have to worry about, you know, really have to worry about replacing him. So that's, you know, that's him. Raiders, look, you had so many needs that you needed to address. You took a lot, you took a tight, a tackle who I think was worse than an available guy in Darisaw that you could have taken. I think some of the guys who went in the second round, the kid out of Oklahoma State that the Bears got, I think you could have got him over Alex Leatherwood. That's fine. Trayvon Merrick, pretty good pick. Did it address any of your needs? no like they just they've drafted so poorly every year since John Gruden has been there him and Mike Mayock have just drafted poorly and even in my lifetime before this tenure the Raiders have drafted poorly go look at some of their early 2000s picks and the guys that got taken right after them Jamarcus Russell number one overall oh you know who goes next Megatron and like there was a trend like that for years where you just saw absolute stud wide receiver I'm pretty sure Larry Fitzgerald Went right after the Raiders took somebody in the draft that year as well. I don't remember who they took, if that tells you anything. But Larry Fitzgerald, I don't know, he's pretty good, right? He goes right after the Raiders. It just felt like in this draft, particularly, they reached and were getting guys that just didn't feel like you go. You go three safeties, like why? Who does like that? why yeah. do you go three safeties? Like I get it. <laughs> Leaves
1: a bad taste in your mouth. Divine,
2: man. Divine Diablo. That is a name that is awesome out of Virginia Tech. I get it, but what's he doing for your team? You gotta. You need to address some positions like Christian Barmore was there. Like you need defensive I'll tell you tackle what, man, help.
1: This, this guy's got a great this, name. We gotta we gotta bring him into our organization, man.
2: That's that's honestly what I feel like he did. I think he saw the name and said that guy right there. You could have gotten Barmore out of Alabama defensive tackle to help you out with that. Dude's talented. I know he's had some coaching concerns that people haven't really liked, but he he you a, like
1: Gruden as a coach. Yeah, I mean, like he seems to get like you, the you,
2: most out of his players, and that's. I just feel like they haven't drafted like historically the Raiders have
1: if the Raiders had drafted drafts. well, would
2: this be one of the better teams in the AFC? Probably I mean, probably. They're like they have talent. Like it's just putting it together and like you you drafted Henry Ruggs last year when you could have gotten a guy like Justin Jefferson. Put it in that perspective. Like you they it's just the continuous missing, it rubs your raw over time. And it makes this one a lot worse than it actually is because you just keep doing it over and over and over again. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting better results, and it just never happens for the Raiders.
1: New City, same problems. I'm to the top of my list now with the Seattle Seahawks, and this is another team that I think took exterior issues and brought them into the draft. For similar reasons that I talked about with the Texans, you can't grade out well when you when you barely have any picks. You had three picks. Seattle had three picks. I think they did pretty well with their three picks, but still, we're talking about investment in the future. And I'm looking at the Seattle Seahawks organization right now, currently, where they stand and where they stand in comparison to the other teams in their division. This is a franchise that is getting older by the season and also is having a really difficult time managing their cap situation, which is why the Legion of Boom no longer exists. They were unable to pay all those guys. Now they're having a hard time finding anyone to pay. There isn't a lot of investment in the future. Your quarterback's mad right now. Russell Wilson was talking earlier this year about how he wanted more of a say-so in the organization. Go and look in Green Bay. That's the beginning of the end. When the quarterback is losing faith in what you're doing in the front office and he's now saying, well, hey, can maybe I have a say-so? And then you start saying stuff like, no, you can't, and you start having a media war like they were this past year or or during this past offseason a couple of months ago. It's the beginning of the end. I don't know if Russell Wilson necessarily is the type of quarterback to be like, "It's over, let me go," because I think he really does l- love the Seahawks organization, but and also he, he's just not he's not like some of those other quarterbacks. The, the, he's a nice guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's the nice guy, but it's funny that it's funny that as good as Russell Wilson has been, that's he's done the, with no help. Well, that's the reason that the Seahawks are in this position because their teams have overachieved. If you look at the roster. In those years that they've been making the sure playoffs, it's
1: Russell Wilson's fault.
2: <laughs> but like it's like indirectly, he's been so good that that's why because he's carried some. It's like you think about the LeBron led team, the Cavs, LeBron led team that he was dragging like Smooch Parker to the final. Like he was dragging that that corpse of a team with nobody on it to the finals and got swept by the Spurs. You look at some of these teams that Russell Wilson has helped bring to the playoffs; they probably shouldn't have made it. And instead of missing the playoffs and getting better value at draft picks. They were making the playoffs and getting worse value because that because Russell Wilson has been great and Pete Carroll has been a good coach. And they've gotten the most out of not a great and talented roster. And it's a double-edged sword. You're like, yeah, like they're overachieving with this team. But what I keep saying, the worst thing you can be is right around in that middle, yep. right around the mediocrity. If they were bad for a few years, then you might get some better draft picks. And that happens. You've seen that happen with the 49ers. They were, they were in the Super Bowl, and the next thing you know, they were pretty bad. Bounce right back. There's just not a
1: lot of investment in the future for these guys. The best help they got him was a wide receiver out of Western Michigan, which I know you like. But still, once again, I go back to the best. The best thing that you got for him was a wide receiver out of Western Michigan. You did go for a lineman late in the draft, though. Still, I wouldn't be shocked if like I said earlier, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a power shift right now. I would not be surprised. If the Seattle Seahawks ended up in the cellar in the next four years because everybody got old, everybody left, maybe Russell Wilson leaves them and they're right back to to starting over. The Rams are chasing the Super Bowl right now and the Cardinals and the 49ers are both ascending, both into, I would say, the, the, the primes of their organization. More so the Niners than the Cardinals, but the Cardinals are, are maybe only a year or two behind where the Niners are at right now. Seattle, on the other hand, on the trip down and when you only got three picks, well, you're in trouble, so... On the other side of this break, we wrap up the show. Another edition of On the Line. We've got a couple of minutes left. We'll be back. (laughs) Wrapping up another edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fedswater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Crime show lineup on CBS at 7, it'll be NCIS, and at 8, the newest episode of FBI. Some movie selections for tonight go back to the 90s with The Parent Trap at 6 on Freeform. Iron Man is still traumatized by the events of the first Avengers movie. Iron Man 3 is at 6 on FX. Tom Cruise stars in The Last Samurai at 6.30 on IFC. In live sports, there are two NBA games on TNT. At 6.30 p.m., the Brooklyn Nets will take on the Milwaukee Bucks, and at 9, Kawhi Leonard will play against his former team as the Los Angeles Clippers host the Toronto Raptors. One MLB game is on ESPN as the Houston Astros travel to take on the New York Yankees at 6. College baseball has a nice schedule at 4 on ESPNU. Number 2 Vanderbilt takes on number 15 Louisville at 6. UAB and Auburn play on SEC Network and Campbell and North Carolina play on ACC Network. NHL hockey on NBC Sports features the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers at 6. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up another edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater here with you. you got a minute left until the drive with Bill Cameron. Bill and Dan will be taking your calls as they do every weekday following us here on On the Line from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. So once again, stay tuned for that coming up after us. Levi's been a packed show today. A lot of good stuff. We spoke with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. If you missed that conversation, go back and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. If you if you missed any of today's show, if you're just now coming in and you're like, well, man, I, I missed a good show today, go, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We ranked our drafts, our top drafts, ranked our worst drafts. We talked about Auburn players entering the transfer portal, Alabama unveiling a social media branding program for their athletes called The Advantage. A lot of good stuff on today's show.
2: Yeah, I mean, we talked about how J.J. Watt was overrated. We talked about... <laughs> My beef with Kirk Cousins. I mean, you missed a lot of great things. That's it for another edition of On the Line.
1: The drive with Bill Cameron following us here after the show. Hope everybody has a great Tuesday afternoon, a great Tuesday evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.